you know it's Australia Day when at least one AFL footballer gets into strife. <laughs> Last time I went on the running machine, I fell off, which was really embarrassing at the Richmond gym. Three words, Corrie, your New Year plan. Embrace the quiet. And some pretty raunchy stuff goes on in this film with a lot of modern-day language. So does it lack credibility then when we know that it's not historically based in sound? I loved it. It's a brilliant, luscious, racy story. Isn't it up to people like you and I, i.e. working mothers, to actually decide whether we are insulted or not, rather than Greg Baum, who is not a working mother? Feb fast, yes or no? Oh, give me a break, of course not. Do you think that I, I go shopping on my husband's credit card? Sorry. Sometimes you are... I'm an old-fashioned girl. You're a 50s housewife. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome, everybody, to episode 70 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Summer is still going, but most of us feel like it's over. Corrie Perkin, my dear friend, oh. bookseller who is back in the bookshop. With tears. No, not being, not in tears being back at the bookshop, just tears being away from the beloved beach. But look, all good things come to an end, Caroline, and on we go for a new year ahead. There are some good things about coming home, which, funnily enough, is a topic we're going to discuss later in the episode. In fact, coming home is one of the themes of episode 70 of Don't Shoot. A few apologies, Corrie. Miss Jane has been a disgrace. She hasn't put the recipes up. And I remade my Annabelle Crab hot-smoked, wood-smoked salmon pea salad again last night for the family, and I couldn't find any wood-smoked salmon because all the shops were empty. Everything's empty. It is. So I substituted it with halloumi, which was an Annabelle tip. So, Jane... Get cracking. I, ha- I have an apology, Caro. Oh, Last yes. week I talked about uh, Carmela Harris. I actually pronounced her name Carmela, and it is Carmela, which somebody pointed out to me. And as she is the one of the Democrat Party's representatives or nominees for the presidential election in 2020, I thought we'd better get that right from the get-go. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about sports people going into politics. We're going to talk about a fabulous new film that was previewed over the weekend that I saw. We're also, we've got a wonderful, I've got a wonderful and very simple recipe, which involves using up a lot of stuff that you have far too much of, Corrie Perkin. And we just want to explain, thank you to our... What do I have far too much of? Good sense? No, 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 you'll find out in a moment. Bridget Nile, one of our favourites, just wanted to tell us that um, Anna Wintour is a tennis tragic. She plays tennis every morning as her choice of exercise. Of course, she delivered a fabulous speech. I think it was at the National Gallery in Melbourne with Baz Luhrmann and a few other luminaries and was incredibly impressive. So that, Corrie, is why she's in Melbourne. Also doing the rounds in the past few days, I don't know if you've noticed, but our dear, well, isn't we wish he was our friend, Yotamoto Lengi. And um, the avocado and broad bean smash, um, Paula Gething, um, who posted pics of that, we want to thank her. She brought two copies of Simple on your recommendation, Corrie. And um, Kathy Biggs has just finished Coming Home, one of our favourites by Rosamond Pilcher. And uh, she thanks us. Oh, well, aren't we popular? The Don't Shoot Pod Instagram account, as opposed to the Corey, the Caro and Corey Instagram account, which of course famously I lost a little while ago. It's uh, coming. We're building up. We're building up. We are. We're getting again. there, but we're still not up to our thousand. Um, but um, yeah, let's not talk about passwords in 2019, Caro. But we had a lovely message from a lot of potties uh, saying hello, and one of them, Kirsten Marie Fox, says, "Ladies, what a pleasure to listen in again, all the way from Dublin." You both should adopt the same three-word slogan for your summer, gin and tonic. I agree with you there, Kirsten. <laughs> I am envious of your summer tales of fish and chips on the beach and heartily agree with your love of the much maligned iceberg lettuce. Time to bring back the iceberg in 2019. Great show. Thanks a million, as the Irish say. That's a nice message. I'm looking forward to you uh, giving me your three-word assessment of your New Year's resolution or your plans for this year, Corrie. I also wanted to say that We've had Australia Day in the past few days, and quite apart from the fact that we debate it as a national holiday, as we Australians do pretty much every public holiday, we just love to debate whether it should be there or not. Um, You know it's Australia Day when? Fill in the blanks. You know it's Australia Day when you can't buy any hamburgers at the local Woolworth supermarketo. Oh, you know it's Australia Day when at least one AFL footballer gets into strife. (laughs) 
in this case, Alex Fazzolo, who plays for Carlton, who was at Collingwood, turning over a new leaf. People are saying how, you know, he's, he's just, you know, trading the house down. I think he got into a bit of a drunken scuffle on Australia Day, or perhaps it was the early hours of the next day. He's got a shocking injury. He's in strife. Ollie Wines, who's one of the best players in the comp, went water skiing and seems to have busted his shoulder. So that's bad news for Port Adelaide. What You land on water. How can you, uh, being a scare from way back, you know, I used it's, to do the Moomba Masters, as you recall. <laughs> In my little diamante if bikini. If you're being paid 800 grand or whatever you, a year. How can you, you break your shoulder water skiing? It's water. Well, no, you wrench your shoulder holding onto the thing. If you try, Anyway, surely you Why know that, Corey. <laughs> I haven't done it since a family holiday on the Gold Coast many years ago. Anyway, that's – and quite seriously, that's when Wayne Carey, you know, when it all started to go horribly wrong for him too, if you remember. Why is Australia Very Day synonymous Day with weekend. getting – Blind drunk. That's what I'd like to know. For a certain age it is. I think, and it does seem to be more, ever since um, the tall ships and the bicentennial, it does seem to resonate more in Sydney. Although we did sit up and watch the Australian of the Year presentations. Scott Morrison doesn't really have any charisma at all, but that's not his fault. I mean... That it, would have been a scintillating couple of hours well, of television, Oh, it was, it was pretty moving. It was some of the people who won the awards, you know, the couple whose, whose daughter, um, Dolly, you know, committed suicide after being harassed, being bullied basically on social media and, and the campaign they've started. They were incredibly moving. And obviously the winners, you know, the two guys who helped get the Thai football team out of the cave. I mean, reliving that story just reminded us all what an unbelievable... What an unbelievable story that was. I can't wait for the movie. And to Is see them all. Be a movie? Oh, surely. <laughs> to see them all lined up, um, all the players, and the two Aussies hadn't seen them or even spoken to them since they got out of the cave. Or oh, since, that'd be right. Or since one of them had to. Well, that, that just Off you the, pop, you've done your work. Well, that's Go just home, sort of the Aussie. way it Go is. Home. It was incredibly moving. No, it, was, it really was incredibly moving. Now, Corrie, where do you stand on sports celebrities? taking on standing candid- sitting candidates in both federal and state parliament. We've seen so many examples of the independent, you know, Peter Thompson all those years ago standing for the Liberal Party, um, Point Percy at parliament, of course, <laughs> Percy Jones. I'm talking state at the moment. <laughs> no, Percy Jones didn't make it federally. No, um, but if you get someone like John Alexander of his calibre, clearly a, a- Good thinking brain yes. who decided to go into federal politics. Sadly, had a citizenship issue, but he wasn't alone there. Um, but, and made a, but made a significant or reasonable contribution. Brendan Look, reminded me of in an interview that they still they played for years on the footy show of Billy Brownless when he went and visited Jeff Kennett, and the Kennett camp leaked it. He went in with Ian Cover, and Brendan and his friend David Broadbent, the two opposing political reporters asked him outside about the balance of powers in the Senate and what the big issues were in Geelong and um, where he stood on this. And <laughs> was at the beginning and Billy the end kept, of his career. Billy kept looking over at Ian Cope and going, Cope's? Cope's? <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, Mal Meninga, didn't he sit in his first press conference and just go, oh, stuff this, and walked out. <laughs> Nova Paris got into a bit of trouble when she decided to go for the AFL job just before an election. Bill Shorten got rid of her. But now we've got Zali Stegall. Who, who I who I'm a very keen fan of. Apart, as a apart skier. from being apart, well, apart from being a, um, a medal winner, so she won bronze from memory in the 1988 Olympics. Would that be right? 86. No, no it must have been 86. No, Zali Stegall. No, no, no. Much more recently. But anyway, no, no, no. She did. Well, anyway, Jane will look it up while we're talking. She won. A, I know she won a bronze medal in skiing, but she's also a barrister, Kara. So she's no slouch. And she wants and to she, get rid of Tony Abbott. She wants to get rid of Tony Abbott, and she lives in the division of Warringah, which of course is Tony Abbott's electorate, which he has held for a considerable period of time. And in fact, it's always been a liberal blue ribbon seat. And she has just said, having. Being born and bred in this area, she has just said enough is enough. This man is divisive. He doesn't speak to the new generations and he has a terrible view on climate change, which is one of her big drivers. And she said, right, I'm standing as an independent. 1998. Thank you, Miss oh, Jane. Oh, sorry. Did what? Yes, I said I no, thought no, she no. was I'm younger sorry. than that. No, sorry, 99. I'm an idiot. No, back from holidays. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> anyway, um, Zali said the other day in her press conference, I think he... Jane, had... Jane, Caro won... Corrie, zero. I'm sure you'll catch up later. It's always a competition. <laughs> Even when we walk on the track, she has to be in front of me and Bezzy no, the dog. I'm, I'm just that way. Billy it's my can role. hardly walk. She it's my natural role as so leader. She can be in front. Natural <laughs> What bullshit. Natural role as leader. Bossy boots, a.k.a. bossy boots. 
Sorry, Sally Stegall said the other day, I think he being Abbott, I think he is set in his ways and I think he is unwilling to change. And the as you would know, Caro, the uh, the electorate of Warringah takes so takes on that really beautiful North Beach area of Sydney from Mossman through to Manly, and you know, and and um, I think it goes in about forty kilometres or something. So it's a really exquisite part of the world, and uh, there are a lot of issues regarding planning, uh, state forest, federal federal government uh, forestation land. I have a couple of friends who live in Mossman who are fighting furiously to try and keep this land in the public domain, whereas Tony Abbott has mentioned and murmured that they should be selling some of it off to private enterprise. It's a really hot, it's a hotbed, and I think it's an electorate that is changing, not so much its demographic, but the demographic is changing its view. So Zali could be in with a bit of a, a chance here. She could, she could. And, um, I'm just going back to politicians again who've been into sport who haven't worked. Glenn Lazarus had a crack. Remember the um, the Melbourne one of the original Melbourne Storm stars went up to Canberra. That didn't really work out. And other skiers have done it. Kirsty Marshall in yes. the Victorian Parliament, who was I one think, of the first women to breastfeed in the, yes, in the chamber. That's what she'll probably be best known for. But yeah, no, good luck to her. It has been a bit of an interesting year at week in politics, Caro. Remember last week I mentioned the Bill Shorten bus tour going through Queensland and how much I desperately wanted to be on it, not. Yeah, and, well, and <laughs> how you felt it was almost beneath Laura Tingle to be. Well, anyway. She's done a show about it. Well, she, well she, it was really interesting because last night on the 7.30 report, so we're recording this uh, messages on the Tuesday. So on Monday night, Laura's report went to air on 7.30 and it was really interesting she had that time to spend with Bill and Chloe Shorten on the bus and saw his interaction with various factory workers, farmers, uh, people in rural and regional Queensland. It was so interesting. And I just thought that these kind of one-on-ones where politicians are really uh, without minders uh, on the bus, you know, you can get a feeling that he was being scripted, these these kind of natural responses, even if they stuff something up, we actually don't care. We get to see the real politician rather than the scripted press conference or the photo opportunity. I thought Laura did a terrific job. And in fact, the 7, 7.30 tonight, they are doing uh, Zali Stegall. They're doing a profile on her. So watch out for that. In fa- speaking of, congratulations to Debbie Bill, Bill's first wife, who got a gong in the Australia Day Honours. So many people that we know and love did. But the other one we should mention is Lynn Swinburne. Yes. Who, of course, is one of our great podcast friends, and it was well-deserved to go up a notch on the Australian Day Honours. Now, Corrie, still on politics, I saw a, a – well, I, th- I thought it was an engrossing film on the weekend. You would love it, The Front Runner, starring Hugh Jackman as Gary Hart, who, of course, was the front runner for the um, Democratic nominations back in 1988 and should really have run for presidency. Except well, they for, said that he was tipped to win because he had so much charisma. Yeah, against George Bush. Mm. Um, Junior. Senior. Uh, yeah, and he ended up um, having to stand down. I think it was Michael Dukakis who ended up being the – and very – look, the banter, the, the, the way – this is such a – 1988 seems like 100 years ago. Hugh Jackman is a brilliant – gives a brilliant portrayal as a sort of an everyman – charismatic politician who he'll, is just... He'll always be Wolverine to me, Well, Caro. he's... Get those fingernails Bre- out, Bre- Hugh. Brendan wasn't mad on his wig. I, I don't know whether he's missed a lot of nominations, but I thought he was brilliant. I thought that it was a really, really well-executed film that was as much about the media reporting on the campaign trail. So the story is, it, is it's his affair with Donna Rice is exposed by the by the media. By the Miami Herald. Who, who in the past have always been quiet about sex uh, allegations, sex, yep. sex, sexual misconduct allegations or affairs of the heart or, you know, they turned a blind eye as we know with John F. Kennedy and others. And, and you know, went on to forgive Bill Clinton over Jennifer Flowers because, you know, Bill obviously learned a fair bit from Gary because Bill, I, rem- I still recall that interview on 60 Minutes with Hillary by his side sort of doing the mayor culpa. And then, of course, he was, you know, utterly appalling and lied when he was president about Monica Lewinsky. But anyway, that's by the by. This is a fascinating, it is three weeks. The film is set over the three weeks that led up to his resignation. And even though you know what's going to happen, the portrayal of the media at the time is so accurate, the portrayal of the people inside the campaign, and that, you know, the it's so unglamorous, you know, the 
the lack of money, um, the people schlepping around and following him from here to there, the sort of key strategic decisions and the complete arrogance of this candidate who refused to understand. And Caro, as you watch this, what is your journalistic ethical uh, point viewpoint on this? The, the, was the Miami Herald right? And I think one Miami, of the bigger paper, papers moved in, didn't it? To yeah, well, the well, well, the Washington Post, Were of course, right get involved. A year ago, it was Tom Hanks play, playing Ben Bradley. This time, bizarrely, it's Alfred Molina, the brilliant English actor. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't look anything like he's very good as Ben Bradley. Um, I thought the Miami Herald got a great scoop. It was an anonymous tip-off. They, they did try and sell photographs. It was a friend of Donna Rice who tipped them off. But then, of course, some... Um, they were given carte blanche, which was slightly dodgy, but, you know, he actually challenged the Washington Post reporter, um, Gary Hart did, I am so boring, follow me round, follow me round, you won't find anything really interesting. So the Miami, Miami Herald sort of went, you beauty, we're going to, and they're already doing it, but they staked out his house and they photogra- They took photographs. And so right, right thing or wrong thing for journalists to do? Look, now it's not even a matter of debate. Um, I... But if you put yourself back into your 1980s self, it was really unheard of. I I remember being really disappointed that Gary Hart had done this and that he'd been forced to stand down. But I was more angry at Gary Hart. And in the film, they're quite. They leave it to the. They leave it to the audience to decide who was right and who was wrong. And the journal who breaks the story is smashed, smashed nationally for what he does. But of course. Three weeks later or two weeks later, the president's gone. And, you know, they, they, they intersperse old vision that Johnny, Carson, John, Johnny Carson doing a gag about the boat in Florida, monkey business, that he went on where he met Donna. There's always been a theory that he's right, the Republicans set him up and put her on the boat. But clearly, and, and all the media knew this, that, that was his one Achilles heel. There was this history. There was this, these rumours. And also um, the portrayal of Gary Hart's wife is really good too. But you're right, it was – there's a line at one uh, at one point where the Ben Bradley character, Alfred Molina, says, um, I can tell you this and this is fact. When um, LBJ, when Lyndon Johnson was campaigning, he said to me, boy, he said to us, boys, you'll see um, some gals coming in and out of the hotel and I expect you to afford me the same privileges you afforded Jack. And, you know, it, it, it's just changed. Well, it sure has. And you just think of all those British sex scandals, not to mention Barnaby Joyce here in Australia, but all those British sex scandals that just in recent years have hit the paper. The one that I kind of loved slash was appalled by the most was in 2015, Lord Sewell of the House of Lords. And he was a married 69-year-old at the time. He had to resign, of course, from the House of Lords because there was footage of him and photographs all over the tabloids of him snorting cocaine, well, white powder, allegedly cocaine, from a prostitute's <laughs> breasts while he himself was wearing an orange bra and a leather jacket. Oh, that, I so mean, how you can, would, the photos are there. If that's not, if that's not a career killer. <laughs> I, I couldn't remember his name and last night I was Googling, you know, disgraced MP, House of Lords, and these photos just popped up. Like, how do you deny that? <laughs> well, well, look, I think the, bra, the orange bra was rather nice, I thought. Bob Hawke never, no one ever really wrote about it. Everybody seemed to sort of know he was a bit of a player, you know, a lad. He was celebrated for those qualities in a way, but no one ever actually reported on the girlfriends if there were girlfriends. Well, they well they did in the case of um, Jeremy Thorpe because that of course went to court. The girlfriend at the time, um, being his um, his lover, the model Norman Scott. Yeah, well, the boyfriend, in fact. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that's a what girlfriend. I said. No, but that's what I said. His boyfriend, <laughs> girlfriend was the boyfriend. Yeah. Um, but that was that was more. It wasn't so much the scandal of the homosexual affair. It was actually the fact that he had uh, he. Thorpe was um, arrested and tried for allegedly paying a hitman to murder Norman Scott. And ended up killing his killing dog. Killing the dog, Rinka. Which was a horrible and, – and, you know, in the end, I mean, clearly – Can I just say again, everybody must watch A Very English Scandal on uh, UK TV, or I suppose it's available now. I still didn't think Hugh oh, Grant no, was that oh, good in it. I thought he was fabulous. No, I know, and I he know. was nominated for a Best Actor at the Golden Globes, which I thought was deserved. And and the the boyfriend – um, Norman. He, yeah. Did he end up winning an award for something else or did he win it for that? He won it for that. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, look, it, I would really recommend The Front Runner, if nothing else, just to look back on a time where politics changed forever, which is based on a book that I think has a similar title along that way. But in the end, you just go, Gary, you were a fool. You had the world in your hands and you were so arrogant that you just didn't 
realise. Look, what is it about power and politics and sex and they think they can get away with it? How it's like Barnaby, I, Barnaby Joyce having the affair with his former staffer oh, who was pregnant with well, his child, was, which is fine, except Barnaby was presenting himself for re-election as the family man, father of four, rock of society. And and there was really serious allegations about the way she was being employed and money she was paid and departments she was moved to. I mean, that was a complete conflict of interest. I think in the case of Donna Rice, who comes across in the film as a really sad and tragic figure and the actress who plays Donna Rice is fantastic as well. I, I just think in the end we have to judge people on their morals and ethics and if had he put his hand up straight away and realised he had a problem and fessed up, it would have been fine but of course then all these other skeletons started coming out of the woodwork. So I would recommend The Front Runner. Now Corrie, February's upon us, something you've never done. As you know, I'm going on a big hike to Wilson's Prom, where I've never been. It's actually been moved to March now because of um, a few date clashes. Well, then you have to come up with something for February. Well, what are you going to do in February? Oh, don't say it like that. I've been giving this a lot of thought. <laughs> so I sent I sent the uh, our little WhatsApp gang uh, a link, which you probably don't know how to click on and receive. Um, because you're a bit of a Neanderthal I in have, those I've, issues. I've clicked on it and I've received it, but so it's called, the floor is yours, Corrie. It's called the 1,000 Miles in a Year Challenge. It's coming out of the UK, so hence the miles, which I then did, a, a not a currency conversion, but a <laughs> miles-kilometres conversion, and it's 1,609 kilometres, which basically works out to 4.4 kilometres a day. Now, we've already lost January, so, uh, but we did walk quite a bit in oh, January. We would have averaged, we would have easily averaged that. I think so. Although I did have three days off from our walk oh, but what for about, various reasons. What, on the other day, we can, we walked to Point and That was a yeah. beautiful walk. Yeah. So, uh, so it's walk, it's working out that it, I will have to walk 4.4 kilometers a day. Now, if messengers out there are thinking, oh, in your dreams, well, I just want to say that I not necessarily will walk every day, but some days I might do seven or eight k's. So you make it up, right? So, so over a week. So do you count, you know, a bit of over on, a week on the running machine a... with the personal trainer? Not that I'm saying we do that, but do you count everything? <laughs> Last time I went on the running machine, I fell off, which was really embarrassing <laughs> at the Richmond gym. Uh, no, well, well, yes, anything. So long as you've got your iPhone with your little heart app, your fitness app, you can actually, as we know, you can work out how many steps and how many kilometres you've done. But so, so if I was going to do it in February, I thought I'll give it a go and see. I don't want to commit to a year because that would just be too intense for me. But I thought if I gave it a go in February, what I have to do is basically do about 31 and a half kilometres in the month of February. No, a week. Sorry, a week. 31 and a half kilometres a week in February. So that's four weeks and I have to see how I go. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, Corey, I would, I would say that you would do that anyway. You've, well, definitely, you've done more than that over the <coughs> month of January. Well, Caro, it's easy, easier said than done. <laughs> <laughs> but a tan, going around the tan in Melbourne, Botanical Gardens, that's 3.8. So you've knocked off most of it. Just Well, well, since moving house in early December, pretty much every day, well, maybe there are a couple of exceptions, but pretty much every day I walked to, to the shop. So that was, that was a really good get a few Ks mm-hmm. under your belt. So... Look, I'm optimistic about that, and but I think this 1,000-mile challenge is a really interesting hashtag or indeed Instagram account for people to follow because little motivational things just pop onto your Insta screen, and it's quite good to get you going. And okay, okay, I'm joining you. I'm, I've signed up. I'll find your own thing. I'm, I'm supporting you. No, well, no well, yeah, well, okay, you can support me, but come up with what are you going to do in February? And don't say Wilson's Prom because that's March. Well, well, I actually – sorry to be um, – Obstructive, but I thought you were going to see every Oscar-nominated film in February. I did no, I did think about that, and I was thinking about that in the car quite a lot coming home from the beach. Because apart from crying my eyes out, I thought, well, I better start thinking about the year two thousand and nineteen. And I got onto the thought of Oscars, and I listened to a little podcast, which wasn't was out of the US, just ten or fifteen minutes. But they were assessing the Oscar nominees, and I thought, gosh, you know, having a look at this best picture thing is problematic. For example, Black Klansman, which was your movie of the year, as we know. Uh, and it is nominated for Best Picture, no longer can be seen in any cinema. So I would have to go into iTunes. What if I can't find it? What if the stress is on? What if my television doesn't take iTunes? I was getting a bit stressed that I might not be able to achieve my goal. But I still aim to try and see as many of them as I can. 
Okay, well, I'm I'm impressed by that, and I think if you'll find that eventually it'll probably come up on. Um, so, what's yours? Are you going to cook a sponge or something you've never done before? I, I am. Well, no, I've I've done a few of these things before, but no, I haven't <laughs> successfully. I okay, I'll put it not so it. successfully. I'm going to do Feb fast. Oh my lordy! Well, see that this is what happens whenever you declare it. This is the response you get. But you've done it before, Caro. Yeah, I have, but I've always... Um, I'm not really saying, oh, my lordy, because that's boring because everyone does it. I'm just I'm just going every year you say you'll do it, and most years you have. So this is... Uh, you invented this segment, you idiot. <laughs> Did you well, invent it? You said, you said a couple of weeks ago, oh, let's always do something in a month that we haven't done before. Well, well come on, come up with something well, else. Well, uh, it's rather thrown me the, um, the hike. Well, you can think... The it, hike being moved to the first week of March well, has thrown can, me. Can I put you on notice? By the end of this show, you have to have come up with something right. that you haven't done before, okay? Now, Corey, you, thanks to the interchange bench, where you have to get back on top of work with your first-class staff, and just remember, this is a time you've got, oh, excuse my voice, you've got to start planning your year, because people are going to go on leave in the middle of the year, long service leave, people are going to get pregnant, there's going to be maternity leave issues, or you just might find that someone wants a month off and you need to refill that position. It is so much easier if you go to the interchange bench, get back on top of work with your with first-class staff. If you want to learn more about them, interchangebench.com.au. They sponsor Crush of the Week, Corrie, and you've got a crush. I do. This is an unexpected crush, Cara. Quite a serious crush, really, for me. Kenneth Hayne, ACQC, Chairman of the Banking Royal Commission and a former Justice of the High Court. Later this week, he submits his final report to the federal government on banks behaving badly. Can't wait. Now, apart from the fact that this has been an extraordinary moment in Australian financial and political history, the enormity of Kenneth Haynes' task is really overwhelming, and I think he deserves all our accolades. It began as 68 days of public hearings in February last year. The Royal Commission has hosted 134 witnesses, both customers and bank executives, Supporting this was also 400 witness statements and more than 6,500 exhibits. Now, an exhibit can be a one-page document or it can be a 20-page governance, uh, you know, manual. Kenneth Haynes has read the lot. Uh, the conduct of 45 entities was examined, including all the major banks. And uh, I, I just can't wait to hear his recommendations. There is word on the street that it is going to be as tough as... We know Kenneth Hayne uh, in his legal history, he has, he has always been a wise and fair and highly knowledgeable about the topics in front of him and particularly crawling all over the banking and financial services industries, which is not uh, easy. He has been dogged and determined and he's acted without fear or favour. So he is my crush and I can't wait to discuss the Banking Royal Commission findings with you next week. And just, look, I don't, this, I, this isn't being political, but I do remember the current Prime Minister being so against that Banking Royal Commission and, in fact, trying to thwart it at the beginning. And when you think of such some of the horrific findings that have come out of it, it just um, – I, I don't think it bodes well. I don't think it does the either. And, Prime Minister. and uh, the opposition has said that it will endorse and implement all of the – which is a big statement, seeing as they don't know what the recommendations are, but they have promised to – the Morrison government, meanwhile, has said we will consider each one on its merits. So, if people are looking for one particular thing to vote on in the election, that could be that could be the for game changer. Sake, they're not the gun lobby in the US. Just take them on. Anyway, Kenneth Haynes, QC, Corrie's Crush of the Week. See the interchangebench.com.au for talent so good you'd wish you could keep them. Time now, Corrie, for BSF, and you have a B. You have a book. I do indeed. I think it's an old favourite. <laughs> I thought you might be happy with this one. So this is one we can actually both talk to, Caro. So we've talked before about the Cazalet series, uh, the Cazalet Chronicles by one of our favourite English writers who's no longer alive. She died a couple of years ago, Elizabeth Jane Howard. And this, of course, apart from being the Duchess of Cornwall's favourite English book, we've heard, that's probably enough reason to turn many potties off. But <laughs> I don't know why. But, but, I don't know why we need to mention Camilla. I mean, but, I think it's a lot of people's favourite book. But there are five volumes in this extraordinary series, which is the story of the Cazalet family, and it begins just on the eve of World War Two, and it 
um, it travels right through the back half of the 20th century. It is a really wonderful series. And as I said to you the other day, I can always remember reading the first one, but I didn't think I'd read the second one. And then, of course, halfway through it on my holiday, I realised, yeah, this is familiar. Uh, you, you've, your dates were all over the place. So you said, I remember reading it in 1980. And I said, I'm sure it wasn't published until Yeah, oh, look, I've been on holiday a long time. <laughs> anyway, this one I, I read again, Marking Time, is the second in the series. And it begins, uh, World War II has just been declared. The Cazulet family, which has um, a number of, you know, sons who are, uh, have served in World War One, and also ones who have decided to sign up for World War Two. A couple of real bad eggs among them. The family has, is completely shattered. There are a couple of really beautiful... Uh, cameos um, or studies really of family members. One in particular I love is Louise, the young daughter of Edward and Viola. Edward is one of the sons I mentioned. Louise is now hitting her stride. She's in her late teens, early 20s. She wants to become an actress. That is fascinating, putting on a show during the London Blitz. That's all wonderful and quite dramatic. There, of course, is the lovely Hugh, who's the older brother, and his wife, Sybil, who has a terrible illness, and how their daughter, Polly, who's really just holds the whole Cazalet series together, how Polly is coping, coping with the impending death of her mother. I'm not giving anything away because it's actually on the back of the cover. I thought, spoiler alert, God, yeah. <laughs> it's right on the back of the cover. Oh, but they're this a is brilliant a- family. And the descriptions of London and the country, the country, rural England during World it's War II. It's so beautiful. Look, this is not for the faint-hearted, Carol. I know you're doing the Elena Ferranti Neapolitan series. Those books are, what, 250, 300 pages. Each of the Cazalet ones, well, this one here is, what, 617 or 18 pages. That's one hell of a read for one volume. But I really commend it to Potties, Elizabeth Jane Howard, the Cazalet Chronicles, and um, as I said, I'm reading volume two, but I, it was comfort reading for me on the holidays because, as you know, during the year I have to read what's coming up and the latest and the bra- and the. It's brightest. a guilty. It's a guilty pleasure, isn't a it? A bit of a guilty pleasure. I remember when the fifth one came out just before she died, which was so sad as they're all getting older and people are dying and they're moving into the you know the new world. And, you know, houses are getting sold. I I remember that was one of the most poignant experiences for me a few summers ago. I I recommend to you the Artemis Cooper biography, which is, I think, A Dangerous Innocence. Yes, that's right. And she was a bit bit of a uh, scallywag, the old Elizabeth Jane Howard, a bit of a naughty girl. Lots of marital affairs. The Kingsley Amos quote, which you love. (laughs) (laughs) Say it again. Do you ever do you regret leaving your wife for Elizabeth Jane Howard only every fucking day? <laughs> I was a bit mean, but Kingsley was a bit of an old rogue himself. He did have a, a good relationship, I think, with Martin Amos, the son, for a while, and he um he wrote a, a great an early book which I actually read again just before Christmas, something in disguise. Brilliant novelist. Now I have a screen. I've not only seen the front runner, but I've seen the favourite which is also Oscar-nominated, and Olivia Coleman has been nominated. What isn't Olivia Coleman in these days? I she mean, is so fabulous. She, so she's played the Queen Mother in that film about Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Moscow on Hudson on something. Um, um, what was it called? Anyway, something on Hudson. She's played. She plays the Queen in the forthcoming series three of she's the, the Crown. Co- she's the cop- as in Queen Elizabeth. She's the cop in Broadchurch. So three series in Broadchurch. If Brilliant. you haven't ever watched Broadchurch, please do, because this is where you see she is. Oh, she's she's not the flawed detective, actually, is she? She's the she's the innocent. She's the innocent victim. I'm not going to say anything else because I, just yeah. the twist at the end is really interesting in she's, the first step or yeah. the first series, I should say, she's of Broadchurch. She's she brilliant, brilliant in Broadchurch. She's, um, anyway, she plays Queen Anne, um, who, of course, had the famous friendship with the Duchess of Marlborough, Sarah Jennings, Sarah Churchill, who, of course, went on to have many famous, two very famous descendants in Winston Churchill and Lady Diana Spencer. But um, this is a film that the director admits is not all true. In fact, the costumes he admits are inaccurate for the time, but they're unbelievable. Some parts the, of the, the language is um, there contemporary. There is more isn't it? use of the c word in this film than any film I've seen for a long time. Usually uttered by women. Amazing supporting cast. I think that um, Rachel Weiss plays Sarah Churchill, and it's sort of all about Eve. It's it's about you know the um, Lady Abigail who comes in and usurps. Sarah Churchill, Sarah Jennings, um, for the role as the Queen's favourite, but Queen Anne is. So is it? So are there gay 
undertones oh, or overtones on this? Yeah, completely. Not, not overtones. I mean, there's <laughs> total gay, total gay behaviour. A lot of lesbian action. It's never been. It's never. There's been a lot of conjecture about whether it was a sexual relationship that the two women had, and they had you know nicknames for each other. There was a great show on in when I was growing up in the seventies on the ABC called The First Churchills, and Susan Hampshire starred in it. But it, it's that story, but much more salacious, and some pretty raunchy stuff goes on in this film with a lot of modern day language. So does it lack credibility then when we know that it's not? Uh, historically based and sound? I loved it. It's a brilliant, luscious, racy story. I went with my brother, Will, who said it was one of the worst films he's seen in years and found it incredibly boring. Um, I think the performances of all the main characters. I love it when you go to a movie and there's just this conflicting view. There's so much to argue about over the cup of coffee afterwards. It was, and and, of course, Emma Stone is in it as well. And I think she's been nominated. She's fantastic in it as well. She has support. The ending is bizarre. Um, There's a couple of um, affectations in the film that are clearly inaccurate, but there are just some wonderful lines. And it's a tale of political intrigue, and I really, really liked it. So I can recommend The Favourite. Now, I'll be quick with recipe this week because it's a much less complex recipe than the Annabelle Crab would smoked salmon and pea shoot five different types of pea salad. Can't be less complicated than my iceberg lettuce with avocado and bacon. <laughs> no, no. It's well well Which which a few listeners have said to me in the past week love an iceberg lettuce recipe. Well this is a bit of an Im- improv. It's an improv. The other day I saw a really lovely leg of lamb in the butcher and I thought I'm gonna do roast lamb, you know, leading up to Australia Day, you know, blah blah blah. No, that wasn't the reason. I thought I feel no, like that would be it was cooler weather. That would be a really tragic reason. I feel like cooking a roast. Well, who's the ambassador again? Sam. Um... Sam Kekovic. <laughs> Come on, how could you forget? Anyway, so you know how we've all been given so much beautiful apricot jam and marmalade, and you know, Mum's made her fav- famous raspberry jam. I've got so much jam in the cupboard. So I remembered our dear friend Mary, Mary Beasley's famous. <coughs> roast lamb with marmalade recipe. That was one of the first things she ever cooked for me. She's a great cook, Mary, and she's one of the best cooks of a roast, apart from my mum and my aunt, Button, that I know. So what she she used to make a topping for the lamb involving marmalade and orange juice and a whole lot of stuff. But I did a bit of Mr. Google because I had this beautiful jar of blood orange marmalade and another beautiful jar of citrus marmalade. You stud the lamb as you do with garlic and rosemary, Leg of lamb, and but you start you you put the slits in the lamb the night before, so you put the slits in and rub it with salt and try and get a bit of sea salt and pepper into the slits. Wrap it all up, put it in the fridge, take it out an hour before you're going to cook it. Put in the garlic and the rosemary, and you basically pour a cup of marmalade over the over the lamb when you put I it know. in a really hot oven, and then you just keep basting it. I again know this recipe because my aunt through marriage, uh, lovely Maria Prendergast, years ago, cooked a baked ham in the middle of winter for Sunday lunch. Which I just can I just say, why does ham have to be restricted to mm. Christmas? Really, hot ham oh, is one of my ham. mum's favourite meals, and it was so delicious. And her base was marmalade jam with hot water. So not completely dense marmalade jam, but she would constantly baste it as she was baking the ham. It was yep. the best. Well. Good recipe. Yeah, well, I've I've known I've done it. I mean, with I've done it with ham before in terms of apricot jam or marmalade or honey, but something about it on the roast lamb, and then you keep basting it, and if you feel like making gravy at the end, it's all sort of sweet and yummy, and you, you can sort of you know skim the fat off. It was absolutely beautiful. So roast lamb with marmalade, everyone. Sounds yum. Very very simple. Now, Corrie, you're grumpy. What are you grumpy about today? <laughs> You'll have there'll be no surprise in this one, Carol, because it is to do with the Donald Trump administration. Don't roll your eyes. Come on, you've got to get used to it this year. He's on the way out. I'm grumpy with Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who is the White House press secretary, who has not briefed the White House press corps since December 19. Right? So where's she been? They used to have daily. They used to have daily slack, Sarah. <laughs> they used to have daily briefings. So. Apparently, the reason Sarah Sanders is not going to the podium anymore is that she says that the press is covering her so rudely and inaccurately, in particular certain members of the press. 
And Donald Trump has said, tweeted, I told her not to bother. The word gets out anyway. Most will never cover us fairly. And hence the term fake news, exclamation mark. Well, thanks for that, Donald. That's so lovely. Um, would it have anything to do, Mr. Trump, with the fact that the Mueller inquiry is hotting up? Or there's a fight over the border wall, the shutdown of the government, the flexing of Congress's newfound muscles now that it has a Democratic majority, Nancy Pelosi and why you're scared of her, the resignation of the Defence Secretary, the postponed State of the Union address on any number of issues, not to mention the Russians. Of course, they don't want to talk, but it's just appalling. It's absolutely appalling for freedom of speech, media coverage of politics. It's just a really bad look that she has just gone so quiet. She has appeared, you won't be surprised to hear, Carol, she's popped up on Fox and Friends. And uh, apparently last week she said that any notion that the Trump administration is not accessible to the press is, quote, absolutely laughable. Well, you're laughable, Sarah, so take that. (laughs) Grumpy Corrie. Now I've got time. We do have time for six quick questions. Now, this is off the back of Boy Swallows Universe, that wonderful book by Trent Dalton, where he's asked to sum himself up in three words when he goes for his first job interview with the Courier Mail. In three words, Corrie, your New Year plan. Embrace the quiet. I'm no more, no more. My mind has been racing for the last six months. I have been really stressed with work issues, um, not to mention keeping this podcast together for you, Caro. <laughs> Honestly, it's so tiring for Jane and I. It's so stressful. Oh, out comes a violin. <laughs> martyrdom. Hey, don't I do it well? Uh, but it, but it's also it's also the chatter of social media, or as my daughter Francesca aptly said the other day, anti-social media because it does make us anti-social. Uh, it is the uh, kind of the need to fill time. Like, oh my god, oh my god, I'm not doing anything tonight. Slash this afternoon. Yep. Slash, you know, what, what's that's, happening with my that's, day? That's very true. And this is one thing that holidays, no matter where you go or what you do, it's one thing that holidays teaches you to just embrace the quiet. So that is my uh, that's my little mantra for the year. What's yours? Lose weight finally. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's true, and I've thought of my. I've also thought of my thing I'm going to do in I, February. I reckon you've been chanting that mantra since you were about eighteen. I've, I've also. Well, sometimes it's it's paid off. Um, the other thing, what I'm going to do in February that I and and I mean this, and I and this is um, a, a lovely girl I know called Samantha did this a few years ago. He did it for a year. I am not going to buy anything in terms of clothing, shoes, oh, anything. Oh. You just told, you told me yesterday or the day before you went shopping with Mary and she bought some things and you ended up buying just a little caftan. Oh, don't look at me like that. Was I not supposed to say that in front of Brendan? Brendan, look at the credit card, doll. It wasn't a caftan. Oh, I don't know. You said you bought a little dress. Do you think that I I go shopping on my husband's credit card, (laughs) Corrie? You are, sometimes, sometimes you (laughs) are. I'm an old fashioned girl. You're a fifties housewife. No, I'm I'm going to just not spend, not for 28 days. Buy a single. Oh, item this is of for clothing. the month off. You said it was a New Year's plan. No, 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 no. Oh, this no. is the thing. This oh, we're going a, back to your thing. Oh, sorry. Keep oh my up. God. I'm keep sorry. up. Anyway, going back to the thing that you're going to do in February. Okay, you're not to buy, but you can buy books. Yeah, of course you can. Oh, because they're not luxuries. Yes, I can buy a book from you, Corrie. Now, what is your favourite Aussie saying? Well, yesterday in the petrol station, when I went to pay for my petrol, the bloke said, "Have a good one." As I walked away, thinking, yes, that's just such an Aussie saying. Have a good one. Yeah. Have a good one. No, Don't yeah. you love it? Yes, yes, I do like that. I think I've come back Instead to... of saying, have a nice day, like the Americans do, have a good one. Yeah, and, then, no, and, and a good one could be anything. It could be a drink. It could be a sexual liaison. It could be a, <laughs> it could be a meal in a cafe. Who knows? Have I, a good one, Caro. I love Bonza and Tucker. I love those two words. You know I what I you know what I can't stand? My brother, hi Steve, does this a lot. Yeah, no. You know, so so do you think Donald Trump is a good president? Yeah, no. What what what, what? which? Sometimes people don't want to commit. Aussies yeah. have a, a tendency to not want to commit, so this, they go, you know, sports this, people do that a yeah, lot. This was a great it was a great Herald Sun headline, I must say, when um the late great Trevor Grant did an interview with Tony Jewell, who was a Richmond board member at the time. And Danny Frawley used to say, yeah, nah, a lot in interviews. But then in this interview, um, Tony Jewell revealed that, in fact, he 
dithered on the game plan in the coach's box, which was for a board member to say that. And the headline was, yeah, nah, Danny dithers on game plan. <laughs> <laughs> which was such a good headline. But for a board member to say that, and Danny did say yeah, nah, a lot. So yeah, nah is not a great saying. Um, okay, so. Oh, I have another one for you now. So are we correct when we refer to Serena Williams as a working mother? Well, look, I think we are. I think we are. Um, Greg Baum wrote a very good column about this in the Fairfax Media in The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald last weekend, saying um, Serena referring to herself as a working mother was a, an insult to true struggling working mothers all over the world. But on the other hand, and yes, she's... But a, isn't it up to people like you and I, i.e. working mothers, to actually decide whether we are insulted or not, rather than Greg Bourne, who is not a working mother? Well... I get sick of men telling me how I should respond or react. No, no, I think this was his response, and it was pretty visceral, and he mounted a pretty good argument, and he wrote it. He executed it beautifully as he already does. But he can't say that it's insulting to us. Only we can say whether it's insulting Well, it's or not, not insulting to you and I, but to... Anyway, he, look, he, he mounted a good argument and he sort of felt that all she's doing is continuing along this path of, you know, brilliant sporting ambition that she's always been on. But, you know, she does work. Of course she does. And she is a mother. So, yes, she is a working and she, mother. And she and her sister Venus run a really powerful and important philanthropic entity. She goes to board meetings. She has a lot in her life, Serena, and she has a little baby. Where did you stand on the jumpsuit? Uh <laughs> Oh, look, freedom of wearing. I'm, I'm kind of. It's funny, isn't it? Because I think, I think my thirty-year-old self would have just gone, "Oh, you've got to be kidding," but, but my older self, I just felt it's freedom of expression. She can wear what she wants, and really, who cares when no. you can play tennis like that? I don't. I, my my issue with Serena is the way she treats um you know, linesmen and um, and referees. And, some and of sometimes her, her opponents. Yeah, her bad sportsmanship. But uh, it was And it was wonderful to see Naomi win, win another Grand Slam and actually get the credit she deserved. Feb fast, yes or no? Oh, give me a break. Of course not. <laughs> no, I know you've never been a fan of Feb fast. <laughs> I think you've been a bit – I think you protesteth too much, Corrie, about Feb fast. <laughs> What? It's true. I love a drink. I'm not, I'm not pretending. <laughs> we all do. Uh, my, my point to you, as I said to you the other day on the walking track, a lot of wonderful things happen in February. It's the best weather month in Melbourne, let's face it. There are often some lovely little parties or book club goes back there for the are. first time. There are. Uh, lunches and things. And we, you and I know a few of our friends who have birthdays in February. Why sit there and have a soda water? Just well, watch what you eat. Don't th- you don't have to get pie eyed. I'm very careful about what I drink in February. I know that's all true, but, but people who do it see it as a correction from you know a couple of months of bad behaviour. And the other thing is, my argument would be the beautiful weather and the lovely times are, ex- are the reason it's easier not to have a drink because it's in July and August when things are getting pretty miserable and cold. That's when. Really but, why, but why feel miserable on a happy, lovely day? Because you're thinking, oh, I'll just have another mineral water, thanks. Well, you don't... Well, My twelfth for the it day. It is possible to, you know, not drink and still not be miserable, Corrie. <laughs> I think that's a bit of an Show me someone. Show me someone who's happy. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll give you my GLT. And this is, this is about coming home and returning home. I make this mistake every year and I vowed this year it wasn't going to happen. Just step by step, day by day, don't return to your house... And well, no, this, no, I'm not. I'm wording it very well. Keep, You've been on holiday too. Close your too eyes. Close well, your Caroline. eyes. One to me, Jane. That's true. Close your eyes to the lack of milk in the fridge, to the use-by date on some of the things, to the fact that the freezer might have been left open too long, and the ice trays are empty. Oh, that there might Brendan, be a bit of mould. No, no. Well, well, Brendan's been on holiday. Well, he's been back at work for a couple of weeks now. Close your eyes to the mess and the jobs, and just. Take it step by step because, honestly, there is nothing worse than that first moment of seeing, you know, the dead pots of basil, you know, the dead, the half-dead hydrangeas, the garden that needs to be pruned. It's too overwhelming. The you colony have... of ants in my kitchen who discovered the dog food was open and have jumped into the bag. That Don't look fun. at the pantry. Worry some about the pantry Can next I just week. Ask you, some of them are white. Does that mean they're termite Yep, they're not oh, ants. Oh, my God. They're not ants. But they love the dog food. You, you know, it must be like caviar for them. Well, 
If you don't you mind saying me I saying, I have termites in my house. Well, you've always had an issue with your pantry. You've kept, you've had weevils in your flour. <laughs> you leave things there too long, Corrie. But jo, our friend Joe, uh, the um, executive assistant, who do you call her again? Our slave, Joe. Years we, ago, we now say friend. I think Joe jo years ago told me her mum Marie's tip for weevils in the pantry, which is put bay leaves everywhere. Works a treat. Oh, okay. Well, oh, I'll, you didn't know that one. Well, I'll, Another bring, some, one to I'll me, bring some home from my ever burgeoning bay tree. But no, I, I just think you've just got to take it. Don't look at things for the first week and just gradually things will get back to normal. It's not that bad. And, you know, we don't have to make school lunches and all the things we did, you know, five, ten years ago, Corrie. So things aren't as, as tough as they are for some people coming back to that very difficult returning home. Oh, returning yes, home and the first holidays. lot of pink notices from school and all the – all the morning teas you have to attend and all of the, what's Miss Jane doing again? She's got a two-hour session with the prep teacher. Two hours, Jane. My God. <laughs> Poor Huey. He'll be sound asleep. What do that, they ask you for two hours? He's five. <laughs> I am so looking forward to- Political uh, allegiances. To seeing how you're Where going- you stand with, on climate change, Huey? With, with, with all your various <laughs> challenges next week. I remember someone saying to me about Ned at one of those- I think your son's imagination is dangerous. And, and we drove home and Ned was about three and said, Mum, my imagination's dangerous. <laughs> and look how creative he is now. Thank you to the Interchange Bench for supporting. Oh, he went to Bruny Island over the weekend. That's another, that's another haven't done, got to do yeah, but not this month, Carrie. You've got a bit on your plate. Thank you to the Interchange Bench for supporting You're going the show. Going up to Sydney today. Before everybody feels sorry for Carrie, can I just say she's whizzing out of this studio onto a plane. For work? What work? You're having dinner with Anthony Green. Yeah, but that's part of the Andrew Ollie That's series. not work. That was an honour. It's it's a fundraiser, Corrie, and it's making a lot of money for brain cancer, so don't diss it. It's fun. You, you'll you find, can't wait to have dinner you'll with Anthony find links Green. To the, I'll come don't back with lots I, of... Don't tell him I say he looks like Dobby out of... I'll, Come, I'll Potter. come back next week with a lot with a lot of political tips. You'll find links to the Interchange Bench website in our show notes. Talent so good, as I told you before, you'd wish you could keep them. We'd really appreciate it if you'd tell a friend about either of our podcasts. Corrie's got a lot of good book ones coming up. Get in touch via our email, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Follow us on the newish Instagram account at Don't Shoot Pod. A lot of beautiful coastal shots of me and Corrie, but I think they're going to get back to reality by next week. That's our Twitter handle too. Hit the sign up button on the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page and you'll receive our weekly updates. Jane has got last week's recipe up and this week's recipe I don't really think you need to put on. You just need to remember to put a lot of beautiful marmalade on top of your roast lamb after you've studded it with garlic and rosemary. God, Jane, she's done all that without taking a breath. Three minutes. Are you going for John Fain's job on 774? Certainly not, Corrie. It's a very good audition, Caro. And what do we say? I'd hire you. Oh, don't shoot the messenger, Caro. See you next week, Corrie.